I always wanted to be somebody, but then I realized I should have been a bit more specific. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, shit shows. I am leaning into this shit, y'all. <laughs> Ahoy. If, if somebody wants to start a, um, a change.org petition to say that they are not on board with the Ahoy, please let me know. If somebody, I, I'm not that attached to the Ahoy, like I'm kind of into it, but if me saying ahoy shit shows would make, I don't know, let's say like five people not want to listen anymore. <laughs> um, I'll stop saying it. So just start a change.org petition if you're not into ahoy shit shows. Um, welcome, new folks again. Not surprised if you haven't turned this off. <laughs> I'm Andrea. I'm not a pirate, but I'm a born again pirate. <laughs> Lordy Lord. Okay. So today we are diving deep with Conchetta K, aka Princess Superstar. And so today this is special for me because Conchetta has been sponsoring me for a few months. And so I really got to, to know her a lot more in this conversation. So Conchetta is sponsoring me in DA. And you guys, I don't like saying that. I do not like saying that I had issues with money or that I have issues with money. See, I want to say I had issues with money. I don't want to own this. Seriously. It's like super, super shameful for me. Um, something I've talked about with Conchetta. It's something that I've talked about with my therapist. Like I will fully own that I'm an alcoholic, that I'm an addict, that I'm a codependent, that I'm an adult child. But I do not want to say that I have money issues. And so I'm saying it right now because I know that, you know, one way to work through the shame is to bring it into light. But I'm just telling you, I feel very uncomfortable saying that, sharing that. I'm thinking in my head right now how I'm going to edit this out, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to because I'm sure that there's other people that also feel shame about it too. I said this, I did my money episode, I don't know when it was, a month or two ago. That episode for me was so very scary and I felt so fucking vulnerable. So it's just interesting because my alcoholism, my dating issues, the impact that that had on my life was a lot more severe and a lot more obvious. And the money stuff, I would say, was less impactful, less damaging, way more subtle. Yet, I have all this shame when it comes to that, but not so much when it comes to the alcoholism and the the codependency stuff. So this is me being real, y'all, and I kind of want to throw up. Oh, listen to this shit. So I'd gone on a date a couple weeks ago, a first date. And so when we were messaging before the date, like a week before, he asked me what my podcast was because it says on my dating profile that I 
um, that I'm a podcaster. And so I said, oh, it's about um, dysfunctional families. And then his response was something like, from a clinical like psychology perspective or like a Jerry Springer style. (laughs) That was like kind of a combination of both. Um, So he, we, we went on the date and then he told me that he had listened to some of the podcasts and I go, Oh, what episodes did you listen to? He was like, I listened to your first one. So the tale of two Brian's. And then he goes, and I listened to your money episode. And I was like, Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) that's one episode I don't want anyone to listen to let alone somebody that I'm going to go on a first date with but guess what guys he's still on the date with me after listening to that so what does that say um yeah so today we're going to be talking to Conchetta as I said earlier aka princess superstar so she is a, a rapper and a and a singer and a dj you'll hear the story of how I met her um but I remember when she mentioned to me that she was a singer initially and I was thinking, oh, she must be like a, like maybe she does like indie rock or maybe she like plays the piano. And I had no idea that she actually was a rapper who has songs like Bad Babysitter. <laughs> so she's going to tell us all about her career and I'm going to include some of her music throughout. So I think that y'all, she's got some bops. She's got some bops indeed. And just a really fun conversation, just two gals chatting and just about her recovery journey, which is whack-a-mole for all of us, right? Stuff just keeps popping up. You think you got one thing taken care of and here comes money or (laughs) here comes drugs. Here comes relationships. Oh yeah. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. So I was going to discuss some about trauma showing up in the workplace. So I had a listener reach out to me on Instagram about self-sabotage in the workplace. And then it's something that's come up in the Patreon groups recently. So I was going to discuss that some, but I've decided I'm just going to do a whole episode on it next week. So I'm going to have Barb Nangle back on the podcast to discuss with her because I think she'd be the perfect person to have on to talk about that. So let me know What are your questions regarding how unhealed trauma shows up in the workplace, self-sabotage, fear of success, fear of failure? Let me know, and we will be getting into all that next week. So before we go to Conchetta, let's sell, y'all. Let's sell. Damn the join Patreon, okay? This is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups And this is the place to be. This is for the party peeps, the adult child shit show party peeps, where we come to heal and recover and make friends and laugh and not feel alone. So how about you head on over to patreon.com slash adult child and do this. You need help. You can't heal alone. You can try. It's going to be slow. But I promise you that there is a whole group of people who want to support you and hold your hand through this process and let you know that number one, you're not alone. And number two, healing is absolutely fucking possible. Um, also, I'd like for you to give me a little follow on the old TikTok and the old Instagram at Adult Todd Pod. Give me a damn five star rating on Apple and Spotify. Oh, so the person that thought E was for everyone 
I don't know if you're still listening. Maybe you're still okay with my with my cursing and you have been able to continue listening. But I just want to thank you because they changed their their review from a a two star to a four star. So I appreciate that greatly. But everybody else, it's five stars. Okay, it's five stars. Um, and then last but not least, want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Integrative Life Center. So this is a group of treatment centers in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Colorado. They specialize in intimacy disorders, addiction, various mental illnesses. They really focus on getting at the root trauma, which is the real meat and potatoes, y'all. If we want to heal, we got to get at that trauma. So go check out the show notes for email, website, and phone number. Thank you, shit shows, so very much. All right, y'all. Well, you're in for a real damn treat, or I'm in for a real damn treat. Let me introduce Conchetta, aka Princess Superstar. Hi. AKA my new sponsor. <laughs> so I get to fucking learn everything about you now. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm I'm stoked to be here. You notice thinking about how like when you start with a new sponsor, when you start with a new therapist, you feel like you have to catch them up on so much. Yeah. It's great for me now because then it can be like, just listen to my podcast. You can learn everything <laughs> that there is, you know? Like, it was I, great. If I get a new therapist, I'll be like, I'll just pay you to listen to these episodes so we can get all caught up. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. I know. I was like, oh, you just told me your step one story in that one podcast. That's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was, I'll just tell this story. Everyone knows I've shared about my resistance to, coming to DA. Um, and you showed up at the Mill Valley ACA meeting mm-hmm. and I'm like, um, I'm aggressive in the chat. Whenever there's somebody new, I'm like, Hey, <laughs> listen to my podcast. <laughs> well, no, you know what, you know what it was, is that I was just like, um, you know, I'm in another fellowship where it's a little bit more lively and fun, you know, mm-hmm. we're laughing all the time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. ACA is like, oh, my God, like, I'm more depressed after this meeting <laughs> than I was before I came to the meeting. And like somebody in the in the group was like, it's okay to be more depressed after an ACA meeting <laughs> or something. And like, I about it because I just thought that was so funny, but it makes sense because it's like trauma and grief. So I shared about that. I think you liked what you heard, and then you were like, "You need to listen to my podcast because it's fun." <laughs> and it was like, oh, amazing! <laughs> um, but then, so then it was like a week. So I got your number, and then it was like a week because you introduced yourself as being new to ACA, and oh, yeah. so then it was like a week later. I was in that huge GA meeting, and then somebody randomly was like. Oh, my friend Conchetta. And I was like, that's not a common name. And it was just like a total God shot that you were, you were there. So it totally, it was, it was, I I told you, yeah, I told you it was your higher power. Cause like my friend, it's like a 250 person meeting. And then my friend, yeah, like she randomly said my name in her chair and you were like, Oh my God, that's you. And yeah, it was, it's, it's great. And also I don't really take on a lot of sponsees, but like, I liked you right away. So 
Good. <laughs> it helps with my uh, you know, feeling the need to be special. Exactly. It's like I want to be my therapist's favorite always, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I want to be like the one, the one patient who like, yeah, they'll like share personal information about themselves with, you know? Like mm-hmm. so then I can feel like, oh, I'm not that crazy. They're like, they're willing to let me, they'll tell me some stuff about them. <laughs> well, it's like, I, what I saw about you right away that you were like very serious um, and you were like really committed to mm-hmm. growth and like we're on top of like, you know, like, uh, just little things like you text on time, you, you know, you, you show up and that's really important. It's like, I only kind of want to work with like disciplined people because that's how I work my program. It's not to say that you have to be perfect. No way at all. But it's just like a willingness. Like I saw a willingness in you, but also you're like a my kind of fun person too. Yeah, so we had a, we had a great chat. I knew you're yeah. it was when we chatted for the first time it was like we had known each other forever. So Yeah, exactly. You always know. Um yeah. okay, so I feel like there's so much to cover. But first, I want to know what the hell happened for you to be like I need to start going to ACA. Cause usually yeah. like things aren't like, we're not usually like having a great day and we're like, Hey, let's go to, let's start going to ACA. <laughs> <laughs> Life's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, I, so I've been in recovery for a really long time, like almost 20 years. And, uh, uh, I was going to Al-Anon because I was like, well, I met my husband and he's sober. Um, so we met in the rooms and then, um, I was like, why are we fighting all the time? Like we're totally like on drugs still, you know, and we're both sober. It's like the fighting was just so intense. So I went to Al-Anon actually first. And then that was, I guess I'm totally breaking all my anonymity, but oh, well, oh, well, I guess we just do that. (laughs) Um, I know. I'm just like, oh my God, the traditions. I'm like, oh God, oh God. Okay. Listen, I just want to say I'm breaking my anonymity, but the thing is, is that I am not a representation of what 12 step is. And I think that that's, what's really important about anonymity and the traditions is like, uh, cause you don't want to be like, Oh, I'll never get sober because Charlie Sheen is such an asshole or whatever, you know, (laughs) to AA and like AA sucks. So no, I just want to say this is my own experience. I'm one person of millions who use 12 step or don't use 12 step or whatever. And it's just like, this is my own experience. Okay. Um, So anyways, uh, yeah, I went to Al-Anon. That was really helpful for a while. But then everyone's like, you've got to go to ACA because that's like the black belt of Al-Anon and you just got to go, got to go. And I really resisted it because primarily I was just like, I don't want to hate my parents even Mm. more than I'm already so resentful at my childhood. Like I don't want to even open that can of worms, but the like fighting was so bad with my husband. And I was just like, and we have a kid and I was just like, I can't believe this. I'm sober. I'm going to Al-Anon. He's sober. Like what, what is happening here? So then I just really realized that I was, my little inner child was like, getting triggered uh by by him and his little child was getting triggered by me and it was like we were just having these historical hysterical fights and i was like i think that i'm really gonna surrender and then a friend of mine too was like let's do it together let's do a 90 and 90 and i was like cool and then i decided to do another 90 and 90 so i'm in the middle of that right now so i'm like about five months in of going every single day to an aca meeting and it has changed my life it's so amazing. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the laundry list, what do you resonate the most with? So um, 
I, I, first of all, I'm like a, a frightening and dominating person. <laughs> that's whatever that one is. <laughs> well, no, that's the, that's like the reserve. That's the reverse side. That's like the flip side of the laundry list. Right. So I'm always, I'm always relating to the flip. Always. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yes. I'm like the dominating, scary person because I grew up, <laughs> I grew up with like two rageaholics. I mean, they were rage. You know, I love my parents. God bless them. They're better now. But like, but like th there was just a lot of rage. Right. And, and I didn't, a lot of children in that situation become like Docile. Yeah. Docile. I didn't. I was like, oh yeah, motherfucker. I am gonna be like <laughs> as scary as you, and I'm gonna scream louder. So I, I resonate with that. But then recently I've really been resonating with the um frightened of um angry people and cannot take personal criticism. And mm. I, I put that up on my wall because basically a lot of the fights that happen with my husband is that I feel criticized or attacked by him. And then um, I realized that frightened doesn't mean like, Oh, I'm so frightened. I'm so frightened. It actually, in my case means I will kill you. So, <laughs> 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 so, what, so I'll feel um, criticized. I'll feel actually frightened inside. I'm not in touch with the fear though. I'm mm. in touch with the rage, anger. Mm -hmm. anger. And so then I am like, who the fuck are you to tell me this thing? And then we're off to the races instead of just, so, so what I've been working with now lately is like, just being like, oh, you know, when you criticized me before, or I felt like criticism, um, I actually, that really hurt my feelings. And so I've been working with that. And we just had like this breakthrough argument, healthy conflict this week, because, you know, he had said something, I thought he was calling something that I really loved gross <laughs> and um, and I told him, like, I felt the rage and I felt like I hate this person and I need a divorce. We're married 14 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, and it's always the same. It's always like, I hate him and I need a divorce. It's never just like, I'm hurt, you mm -hmm. know? So um, but I told him, I was like, that really hurts my feelings. I'm freaking out actually. And like, I'm really triggered. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, it was so amazing. I was like, this is, I was like, we're, we're fighting like grownups. This is so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's all about the awareness yeah exactly that awareness in that moment and that's like really like god's grace like to give you a pause to like to like be like oh this is what's happening this is actually you're not just like you know or what does it say like we respond rather than react like I yeah love that. yeah we act rather than react actors yeah. rather than reactors yeah which yeah. like the first time i read that i had no fucking clue what that meant yeah i mean the other way it's like you're a prisoner you're an addict you know it's like no different than being addicted right to like the rage the 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 typical behaviors the the character well i guess you don't say character defect in this program right what do you say well here? it's a trauma response i mean that's what you're response. that's what's happening exactly yeah. and that's what i talk about all the time it's like we are prisoners we are hostages in a way because we're, you know, we're a prisoner to our trauma responses. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you don't know that that's what's going on. It's not as simple as like, oh, let me just pray this away. Yeah. Like I'm actually having like a physical and mental reaction that I don't really have any control over. Yeah, I love that. I just got goosebumps. I'm <laughs> because I'm like, I only recently been noticing 
the the response in my own body mm. that actually like when he's ang- my my husband's like angry a lot and sometimes the that's anger- what I'm picking up on <laughs> yeah yeah but like but like he's just he's very passionate like I love I love him because he's very like alive you know but he's like he's like a Latino he's just like you know like so he'll and he he loves his kitchen. He likes his kitchen to be clean and he, cooks he loves and his like, kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, I'm not allowed in there. Like, <laughs> and I don't want to go in there. Honestly, he cooks for me. It's great. But, uh, you know, so he'll be banging around and like angry. And I just recently realized that like, actually my body gets nervous. My body gets in a lot of fear because when my parents were angry, I never knew what was going to happen. Maybe my dad was going to hit me. Maybe, you know what I mean? It was just like intense. So, so yeah, my body carries that. And I love that book. The body holds the score score. Yeah, or keeps Mm -hmm. the score. Yeah. That was it. That's a really good one. So let's talk about your childhood. (laughs) God, what is your perception of it? So you four months in doing this work. What new realizations, how is your, how is your perception of your childhood changed over the past few months? So it's kind of interesting because the one thing that I feared was that I was going to like hate my parents more doing this work. And actually the flip has happened, which is so unbelievable and totally beyond my wildest dreams. Um, you know, and I've, I've done a lot of work around my childhood, obviously being in other fellowships and doing the steps over and over again and, you know, seeing my part, seeing where I didn't have a part. And I even made amends to my parents. But um, like, I guess what has changed is that um, I see where I really have like a true understanding now of like how wounded they were Mm -hmm. like, like that they they were so they came from such horrible childhoods themselves that like how could they do any better so it's like a spirit of forgiveness has come in i also i'm i'm working on the loving parent guidebook mm-hmm. with some people and uh, one of the exercises was like print out things that remind you of the healthy loving parent and i actually went back and i found all these pictures of my parents being looking like loving parents like and and they were and you could see in the moment it was really genuine like they really loved me you know and the way that they're looking at me and like I've never been able to even look at those pictures because I'm like Mm -hmm. oh you know oh you know it's so fake or something you know it's like whatever but it's like I just feel I'll tell you what has really happened I feel like this program has like opened my heart up more like I'm more compassionate to myself to my parents to my husband like it's been kind of amazing and I'm also actually a mother so it's like how can I be more of a loving parent in the moment to my actual kid you know yeah because I think that what learning about all this shows us is just truly the degenerational nature of this. Yeah. You know, this isn't people just being bad people. It's people being the product of their upbringing and just passing that shit on. And we're so fucking lucky that we get to learn that that's what happens and that there's a way to change it. I know it's really kind of revolutionary, like with, with 12 steps and, you know, and everything that, in a way, it's like, I feel like my daughter's generation, like, gets to potentially have a reprieve, 
Now we're not perfect. We're not, you know, she's still seeing us fight sometimes crazy, but I talked to her about it. And actually that's kind of funny. There's a, there's like an Alitot meeting <laughs> here in California. So yeah, she's gone to that from time to time. Well, even just when you think about the recent, just what we know about the brain and trauma just in the past, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. I mean, just like what we're learning about all of that. It's like none of this stuff, like healing, healing wasn't even really possible for people not that long ago because we just didn't know. Nobody knew. I know. It's like, it's now, you know, it's, it's in TV shows. It's in, it's in, uh, it's in the, in the air now Mm -hmm. a days. So are you an only child? No, um, I have a brother, um, and, uh, He's older or younger? He's younger. So he was born when I was already eight. So I kind of like had an eight year run all by myself. (laughs) So I was kind of an only child in a way in that, you know, Um, but then he came. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your earliest childhood memory? Uh, Sitting, sitting on a stool overlooking um, the lights of New York City. Uh, I was like born in um, like up in Spanish Harlem. And uh, I'm 51, so this was 1971. And um, my early, so I was probably just two or three. And I just remember looking at the lights of the city. But actually, it was a nice memory. That's good. I know. (laughs) For once. (laughs) And so did the dysfunction in your home, was it something that was consistent? Did it get worse over time? Well, the, you know, the thing is my parents were really young when they had me, they were like 20 and, Mm. um, poor, you know, they were like on food stamps living in New York city. And in that time it was like really the ghetto and, uh, they worked and worked to be able to move us to Pennsylvania to like a safer neighborhood. Um, so I, I grew up outside Philly and, uh, well, let's see. When I first landed, it was Bucks County. Uh-huh. And then um, we moved to Gwynedd Valley, which is like this small town by Fort Washington. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, I went to Germantown Academy. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> GA. <laughs> yeah. And my parents, they they worked really hard. They were actually like kind of workaholics. And uh, but they did lift lift us up from poverty and put and put us into like upper middle class, you know, and, and they were very concerned about education. So they saved all their money and always made me go to private schools and stuff like that. And, um, you know, so it's like, there's always the good with the bad, like the workaholism, I always felt like was pretty damaging. And I, I have to watch that myself, um, you know, cause I have a family. So I've been, I've done a lot of work on that actually. And, uh, and yeah, but, but the, yeah, it, the dysfunction was early. I mean, there was just like a lot of um, fighting, uh, punishing, like silent treatment. That was the other thing that was so intense. It's just like, if my parents got mad at each other or me, they just wouldn't talk or look at you. Stonewalling. Mm-hmm. Stonewalling yeah. And, um, you know, and then hitting. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was bad, but the thing is, is that they also were like super loving and always like told me I was perfect and amazing. And, um, it was a little bit strange because you never knew which parent 
you were going to get. And so that was always like very uneven ground for me because like I didn't know if I was perfect and amazing or a piece of shit because I was called both, you know? Yeah, I think that sometimes that can even be more damaging in a sense, just the confusion that comes there, you know, of conflicting messages and just like the walking on eggshells. Yeah, exactly. And wanting the the nice mom, you know, or the nice dad, you know? So, yeah. And, um, <laughs> it's also a little bit strange because my parents were both psychologists too. <laughs> oh, I just drop it in that now. It's not that strange. The more I do this podcast and the more people I talk to, it's not strange. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, that was kind of strange because they would be <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I'd say how it's feeling and then no, you're not feeling that you're feeling mm. this. And like, that was really intense. I always hated that when, when, you know, but, um, you know, they got like zero love from their parents. Yeah. Like, what do you know about their upbringings? Oh, it's just awful. Like my mom, um, she was like the youngest of six, uh, daughters and, uh, the, the head of her, my grandpa, he was from Sicily. They were from Sicily and he, they only valued boys, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was just like one child after the other and no was boy. A girl. And mm-hmm. then it was a sixth girl. He was just like, fuck this. He was just like, he, he did not give her mm-hmm. like zero love, you know? And he, she said that like, they, you know, she would have to like, you know, shine his shoe when he came in and he would never like acknowledge her and like, Mm. Oh, so intense, you know? And, um, so she just felt totally unloved and, um, you know, and also like they grew up in some, like, uh, even though they weren't, they had money, this is the craziest thing. There was still this like depression mentality. So they had money, but they never could like spend it. Like she had one doll, like that kind of thing. Um, so that, you know, really affected. Were they in New York? They were in, uh, yeah, California. And then they, they moved to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Uh And, uh, and my mom was like the first girl to go to college too in the family. Cause she was like, I want to be a, a doctor. I want to be a psychologist. And that was really amazing that she somehow found her way to do that. Like, you know, so it's like, my parents are, are amazing, like, um, fighters and like, you know, like they're underneath all the dysfunction they have like a really healthy self-esteem you know it's like and and i feel Mm. like they gave that to me too but um you know they're they were like very wounded and then and then my my father's side like that's the jewish side and so they like had gone through the holocaust and we're all fucked up from that (laughs) and like i mean like it it, were they over in europe yeah my well my my uh dad's mom my my other grandma um yeah, had to escape the the Nazis and was like completely traumatized from that. And then they moved to Canada and then they had my father and they wanted him to be a rabbi and they sent him away at 13 years old to New York. Like, like he's only a boy and, and they just sent him away. And then, and then anyways, eventually he met my mom and get this, the two families were so mad because it was like a Catholic and a Jewish side that like the Jewish side, like offered, um, money to the Catholic side and like to go away. And then like (laughs) the Catholic side was like, we'll give you more money. Um, and so, you know, and then, and then, uh, my, 
dad's sister, my aunt didn't speak to him for like almost 10 years because he married a non-Jew. Mm. And the, like that, there's like a lot of stonewalling, you know, it's just like generationally. And um, yeah. And so my parents were never into religion. And so I never really got much God growing up at all because religious people were assholes. That's what I was told. I was so happy when I read in the big book, like, be quick to see where religious people are right. <laughs> you know, mm. it's like because there was so much kind of shame around like liking God. Mm. Mm -hmm. So then when did your drinking and drugging really pick up? Well, I mean, I had already started when I was like 14 years old in Gwynedd Valley and then already driving drunk by 16, you know, in those like windy Gwynedd Valley streets. Um, and uh, but I was like a high achiever. So like I always made sure that I I got good grades. Like I came from workaholics and I really like I still am like that sort of. But also it's like that value of uh, that you derive from doing well. It's like I. And I've been working on that lately, like, you know, being a, a human being instead of a human doing and like deriving value, you know, from because like I always was an overachiever, you know, to like get my parents love or to just feel like a good, worthy person, which is what my parents, I feel like, do as well um, or did or. And uh, anyway, so I was pretty high achieving and um, I graduated early and I went to NYU uh, when I was 17. And uh, I, I, that's where I really like when once I got to New York, we're talking like 1988, New York City, like, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> that's, when, <laughs> that's when I really started using drugs and everything. What did you study music? Or what were you doing? I was actually at, uh, in drama school, I wanted to be an actress at first. Uh, so uh -huh. I went to Tish uh, drama. And uh, yeah, and like shout out again to like my parents, they paid for my whole education. I have no student debt. Like that was so amazing. Um, you know, I'm really trying to recognize all the good things that they're that they've done. They've and, and they supported me to be in the arts, too, because and that was not easy for them because they really wanted me to be a doctor or something wow. like that. But I was like, I knew from an early age that I was going to be um, an entertainer. I knew it, you know, and they supported me in that. So tell me, okay, so when was Princess Superstar born? Okay, so anyways, um, I was going to acting class and I was like learning guitar and I would like be in acting class and just be like, I can't wait to just go home and play guitar. Like I was just like, I can't, I don't know, like private moment, like I can't even deal. And like, <laughs> I was just like guitar, guitar, guitar. <laughs> um, and um, I was super into hip hop too. Um, and when I... Uh, but I never thought that I would be a rapper, like not in a billion years. Um, <laughs> and, and so, Spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah, I know. Uh, so then uh, I went, okay, so basically I got out of college and I was going on auditions and I not landing anything. except Still for, drinking, like, right? You're not sober yet, right? Oh, not at all. No, okay. I got sober okay. in um, 2004. So okay. with this, okay. we're talking, I, I graduated college 1992. And um, I, I uh, am playing my guitar and I'm like, and, and this band asked if I wanted to be in the band and I'm like, cool, let's do it. And I'm trying to get gigs, you know, I'm auditioning and I got like Juliet and like, you know, some third run, you know, college. <laughs> 
Like I was like, oh my God, this is just, this sucks. And I also don't fucking want to wait around for somebody to say, yeah, you have a job. Mm. What I loved about music was that like with the bands I was in, like we just had gigs, you know, cause you just book gigs and it was yeah, um, you early. Yeah. Early nineties, New York city, such an amazing time. Like all like the indie rock colliding with, you know, it's like Sonic Youth with like Tribe Called Quest, you know, it's just like the mm-hmm. most genius time. And we're all in the middle of it because we're in on the Lower East Side, East Village in New York. And, and I was just um, loving that so much and just partying because that's what you did. You know, it's like you're a musician and it's free. And that's what everybody else does. And it's wild because the scene I was in, everybody was like on heroin. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that. Like I had this kind of thing of like, I'm good because I'm not doing heroin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like really insane. Um, and then so 1994, I was like, uh, I was listening to Paul's Boutique, you know, uh, by the Beastie Boys. And I was like, well, I could just fucking do this, you know, and back because because what really was stopping me too back then was like I'm white and like I'm not even like from the ghetto like I I don't know but I went to Germantown Academy (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) I was like it's so funny because like my roots like I actually do like I was born in Spanish Harlem till I was three like I'm from the hood like originally but that doesn't count (laughs) and uh and uh but I was hearing how like you know, the Beastie Boys were doing it, mixing up samples and whatnot and talking about pop culture. And I was like, what I love about hip hop, it's storytelling. And Mm -hmm. I'm a storyteller. And I love that, like with rap, you can use words in a way that like you can't when you're singing and you can rhyme things that shouldn't rhyme. And you can like tell uh, an impactful story. That's what I wanted to do. And so I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. So I made this like, you know, back then we were using four tracks and it's like these cassettes um, where you like you have four tracks, you know, that you can mess with. So and I would just like sample stuff like the Beatles and David Bowie and even Grateful Dead. And I was just like putting shit together in a weird way. And then I was rapping over it and I put out this one cassette tape. It was called Mitch Better Get My Bunny. Which was <laughs> it's better get my money. <laughs> and, um, where, but where did bitch better get my money originally come from? You know, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. But I made this really cute little bunny. Bitch like, better cover. get my bunny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. And I put out this tape. You know, as, as you did back then. Put out. I mean, what does that even mean? You know, it's like. I, I sent it around. I sent it to um, Grand Royal. That was the Beastie Boys record label. And I sent it to CMJ Magazine and like, you know, a couple of friends. CMJ Magazine was like the college music journal. That was where like all the major labels looked to like get the new music. Anyways, um, they wrote about it in CMJ and they said that I was like a rising star. And and they did you have my- the name yet? Yeah. Princess Superstar. Yeah. When did yeah. you decide on that and how? Well, because I had this one drum kit, it's like a vintage uh, drum kit from the 60s, and it said superstar on it. And my boyfriend at the time, who was in this amazing band called Uncle Wiggly, nobody knows. Uncle Wiggly. I I, I love that. (laughs) Um, 
like, he was like, why don't you, you know, I was making music and he's like, why don't you call yourself superstar? And I was like, no, it has to be like more obnoxious, more over the top. And so I was like, princess superstar It was kind of a joke. Like I wanted to like make fun of like celebrities and like, you know, just, like- I wish that your name would have been Mitch bunny. <laughs> Mitch bunny. <laughs> It's so never too late. So good. I know. It's Can never we, too late. What? Yeah, we need to do something <laughs> with Mitch. Like that's like so good and so random. Can we like make me something with Mitch, please? Okay. Uh, maybe okay. I'll make a song. I'll make yeah, a song. Mitch. So yeah, and then uh yeah, and I was like doing my thing um on the Lower East Side. And oh, and so CMJ wrote about it. They printed my my number in the magazine. So and random. were they writing about Mitch better have my, my, bunny? Get my money? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And they said it was like really awesome. Um, and, <laughs> uh, then all of a sudden all these like major labels start calling me like literally it was so weird. And you know, it's different time back then. <laughs> Did you Anyways, feel like you were like living in a time warp? Like, was it all like yeah. very surreal? Yeah. And it's so funny too. Cause like talk about like grandiosity or fantasy, whatever. I was like, I, as soon as like any major label called me, I literally picked up the phone and was like, I'm quitting my waitressing job. Yeah. Like I didn't even have a deal or anything. And like, and like also none of those calls ever led to a record deal. Mm-hmm. But like, I was like, I'm famous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, anyways, and then the guy from grand Royal got back to me. Cause I was also, I sent it with like a sexy picture and he was like all high. And he was like, yo, is that you in the picture? His name is Car- Carmelo. And I was like, yeah, it's me. And he's like, I'm coming to New York. You got a show. And I was like, uh, yeah. In my apartment. Like, I- <laughs> exactly. I was like, I didn't have a show. I didn't have band members. I didn't have anything. So, um, <laughs> so I called up the uh, Pyramid Club. That's where Madonna had her first show, actually. It's a shitty hole in the wall that like every famous person has played, but it's really a dump, you know, and it's it's on. Well, it was it was on Avenue A. I don't know. I, I guess it's not there anymore. Um, anyways. Um, yeah. And I had a show and I was up on stage at like two in the morning, like some shitty time slot. And there was like five people there. And Carmelo, the guy Carmelo was there. He never came. No, he never came. Of course he never came. They don't, they don't come. (laughs) You know what I mean? But that was, no, I don't, I'm not in the biz. So I don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you can imagine anyways, that was the, that was the birth of princess superstar. And I just kept going. I just kept going. And then did you get like a, you got like a, a late like a record deal or what happened so yeah i mean like uh this small label out of canada put out my first record um and then he didn't want to do the label anymore and so i decided to start my own record label so 1997 i started my label which was called a big rich major label so that i could call up like distributors and thing and be like hi this is conchetta from a big rich major label and i'd be (laughs) patched right in you know How'd that work? It worked. It It worked. worked. So funny. Uh Uh-huh. And then I put out records, put out records. I booked my own tours. I was like uh, hustling. I like would get my, uh, at that time, you know, it's like putting your CD in Tower Records and all that. And I would go and meet the buyers. I would put up my own posters. You know, I got the band together, got the, the, the tour van sleeping on motel sixes, the whole thing. I mean, I just busted my ass. And then, uh, 
five years of doing that, six years almost actually, um, and nobody really caring. Um, I I got some attention in Germany. I had a song. It was already my third album. Bad and Baby I had a song. Sarah? No, not this is no. right before Bad Baby Sarah. So it was called um, Do It Like a Robot. And it was kind of like me <laughs> rapping <laughs> over like craft work. And um, it's like a craft work type of beat. Boy, they just ate that up in Germany. And, Do it like uh, a robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that really got the attention of this other label, K7 Records. And that the next record is when I did Bad Babysitter. And Wait, that how, became like, a massive hit. But how did that? So this is like what, the late 90s? Yeah. This how is does, late like, all, 90s. Like, how does all of a sudden like that become big in Germany? Like, how does that even happen? Okay. So what had happened was. There was a magazine called Specs in Germany. And back in the day, they used to put CD sample uh, samplers in magazines. And Specs was like the super cool magazine that all the like, I don't know, like the trend setting Germans read. <laughs> and <laughs> they put in do it like a robot on the CD sampler. Mm. And so then all of a sudden, like I got some attention. It was again, getting the attention of the labels again, but uh -huh. this time in, in Europe where they were really ready for, for me, for that's where Princess I did. Yeah, yeah, I did very, that's where I had all my su success was in the UK and Europe. I mean, I had, I also have a cult following in the U S but really it's Europe. Yeah. And so then what happened with bad ba babysitter? So, um, so 2001, um, I put out Bad Babysitter on my fourth record by now, which is Princess Superstar Is. And um, and all of a sudden the label, which was K7, was like, hey, your song is like doing really well. It's like it's like actually in the UK pop charts. It's the first time we've ever been in the UK pop charts because it was a German label. And um, you need to get over here and tour. And and I was like, can I quit my job? Can I quit my job? And they were like, yeah. What were you doing? Did I was, <laughs> no, I was working in this office. It's so random. It was called the Financial Women's Association of New York. <laughs> and it's like women in the finance area. Yeah. And then and you're like having songs called Do It Like a Robot. Uh-huh, totally. <laughs> and, like, and I was like, I was like uh doing their website. You have to remember, like at this time, HTML was like all one page that you had to scroll. And like uh -huh. I was doing that kind of like web programming. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I was like half running my record label out of there too. Like I actually went Did back. They know. They yeah, well, kind of. I went back and I made amends and I made uh -huh. financial amends, actually. And my boss was like amazing. She was like super supportive because I was actually running a business in a way. Uh -huh. She like wanted to uh -huh. support that, you know. Um, but yeah, but I always made sure that like my work was done. Like I was a good worker, even though I was like a raging alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> like I was super high achieving. Like I did whatever it took, you know, to like show up. And uh, and yeah, so then the labels like you can quit your job. And I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the in the kitchen of the um of the office that I was working, and there's like all this like Christmas popcorn. You know how you get like in offices, mm -hmm. like tubs of Christmas popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> and I flavors. Yes. And I was just jumping up and down and like throwing the popcorn all around because I was like, <laughs> I waited for that phone call, you know, for so many years, like where I was just like, yeah, you can be a, 
an artist. You don't have to be a worker right now. You could be an artist. And so for 16 good long years, I earned as a musician. I'm still earning as a musician, but I have other jobs, you know, that, that now I have too, but, but 16 years. Yeah. It was amazing touring all over the world, you know, everything you can think of, you know, top of the pops, you know, legendary UK show, um, cover of magazines, like all that. I mean, it's just amazing. Top of the pops. So give me like a crazy story. Give me some like shit. Give me a shit show story. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I think like really what like some sums it up is that like, um, I, I, so I started to like have success um, and I wasn't sober, you know, so I got sober 2004 and I'd say I really got successful like 2002. Okay. Um, 2001, 2002. Is that so when you had, quit your job? Yeah. And I started touring all the time and just like, uh, kind of like the peak of my fame in a way, like, cause bad babysitter was just going off in the UK. And I mean, like fans would like meet me and cry when they met me and stuff like that. And sometimes I was nice and sometimes I was hungover. Mm. And sometimes I'd just be like a fucking cunt, like seriously, <laughs> just like get away from me. I remember canceling like interviews and magazines and like things that people had really set up for me and just being like, I'm too tired. I'm not going. And then the fighting within the band, like, so I had hired a band and stuff like that. And um, one time I had like a, a guitar player and he was really like, annoying me and he I'm, I'm you know he's got his side of the street whatever I'm not gonna take his inventory but anyways the way I handled it was so insane I was just like he you know I was just I would just scream at him scream like no boundaries you know like what's crazy about like fame and all that stuff is that if you're not spiritually grounded and if you're not sober or just grounded um it makes you think that you're like more special than other human beings like i didn't have any connection to a higher power anything so i really so if everybody was around me like i love you and everybody was trying to like mm -hmm. uh be next to me so i really just let it feed my ego and i really come from like narcissistic parents as well so i just it just was like easy for me to to go into that diva role um and treat people badly. And so this guitar player, I was screaming at him and he's like, I'm going to quit. And I was like, well, we don't need guitar anyway. So fucking goodbye. And it's like, you you actually do. Like if you have a band, <laughs> it's like you actually do need a guitar player, <laughs> like you know, and I would just show up to the next gig without a guitar player and sound like shit. But I'd be like, fuck mm -hmm. him. And I'm righteous. You know, it's like all that self-righteous anger, diva shit. Um, you know, it's like, I have, a, I really had to work really hard on like forgiving myself because it was just like, I did, I didn't know uh, what I was doing. And then, you know, and I'm so grateful to my higher power because I got another shot. Like, so I got sober in 2004 and it kind of looked like my career was sort of like, uh, I, I made, I really could have used DA at that time. So I made some questionable business moves, you know, like my, I made my best friend, my manager, which was like, she was not qualified for stuff like that. And, um, but I got sober and I uh, sort of, sort of, I don't know, things were, well, how the hell did like, that happen? Oh, well, <laughs> That was by accident. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> How that happened, it, it really was, seems like it's by accident because it's like, um, I, 
I had gone back from a tour uh, where actually I was just DJing. Um, so I had learned to DJ in there. And that was really the time of like electro and mashup and all this really awesome music. So I love DJing. And I also loved, by the way, because I was a greedy bitch, that I could keep all the money and I didn't have to pay a band or deal with them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you, so, don't need a guitar. Exactly. So exactly. So um, I, yeah, I got back from one of these tours and I was like, I had all these rules, these drug rules, right? Because I was like, okay, listen, um, I could use drugs, but only when I'm in Europe which is all the time, by the way. Was it just <laughs> like Coke? Was it like booze and Coke was your main thing or what? No, it was like everything. It was like what I call like a garbage head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like one, you know, one day would be ecstasy, one day would be Coke, one day would be pot, one day would be mushrooms, one day would be uh -huh. acid, like uh -huh. that. And anyways, I got off this three-week tour where I had done, and I, oh, and I had, so I had these rules, only used in um, Europe. I was always there. <laughs> um, don't do it consecutive days. And also, um, no, what is it? Oh, yeah, nothing before the show, only after. Could you drink every day? You just couldn't use drugs every day? I know. I had quit drinking at that point. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, I'm only going to use drugs in Europe, okay. but not yeah. drink. <laughs> but, I live, but I live in Europe. <laughs> and, and also, I don't drink anymore because I have a drinking problem. But I don't yeah. have a drug problem. No. So I'm just going to Because do I drugs. only do it in Europe, but I live in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the insanity is so intense. And uh, anyways, I got back from one of these tours and I had broken my rules, all of them. And I had like <laughs> uh, used three weeks in a row, different drugs. And um, I was just feeling like so disgusting. And on one, but I think that probably was part of it too, is like, as long as you like switch up what you're doing every day, then you're not really addicted, right? Because like you're That's not, exactly like my not point. doing the same drug every day. Exactly. It's like yeah. I'm not a cokehead because I'll have Because I do that only every third day. <laughs> <laughs> you get it. You yeah, get it. Yeah, absolutely. And why are you sober? It sounds like you didn't have a problem <laughs> at all. <laughs> um and the main like I was so upset because I had broken the rule of not using drugs before I played and I and I had this one DJ gig and I was on ecstasy and oh, I kept Lord. taking the record, um, the record arm, the needle and putting it back to the beginning of the same mm -hmm. song because not mixing into the next song because it was so good. Don't you know? Yeah. And so I, was like, <laughs> and I, I got back from this tour and I was like, Oh God, I need fucking help. I gotta, I gotta learn how to use drugs responsibly. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, not quit. And, um, at that time, my friend Larry T, who is an amazing producer, in fact, he and songwriter, he wrote supermodel work for RuPaul. Mm -hmm. And um, he was like, hey, I've got new music for you because we were going to work together. He's like, I'm just going to my N.A. meeting and um, then I'll give it to you. Wow. And I was like, N.A., what's that? And he's like Narcotics Anonymous. And I was like, oh, did you know that, that he was sober? No, I didn't Have even really used with him in the past. No, because he he really used he he was long time sober already, and he he really comes out of like the eighties New York City club scene, like with Michael Alec and all those crazy people, um, and so he's sober a long time, and um, but I didn't know he was sober, and also I didn't really understand what sober, sober was. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even yeah. know. I was just so out of it, and um, I was like, well, I'm gonna go get my nails done. 
I said, maybe I could come to the meeting, but I have to get my nails done. Like, it's so crazy looking back. And actually, I did go to the meeting and it was crazy because it was like this really intense uh, meeting. And I just sat there like with my eyes wide and I was like, I'm on the fucking pop charts. Like, what in the actual fuck am I doing here? Like, but they kept talking and I kept like relating like and I just I, you know, I needed drugs to survive, you know, to have fun to do. And I was like, oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. And um. I was like, maybe I'll just stay because it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I stayed in the back. I didn't, you know, and I was really freaked out by the God thing. And I stayed in the back. And it was really by the grace of God that I stayed. And uh, there's no reason at all why I should be sober. I was so arrogant. I had the two cars in the garage, like it says in the big book. And um, I I didn't relate to to those people at all. And I was judging them mercilessly when really I was just like them. But I did hear, I did hear my story and I did hear like, um, you know, a, a version of it. And I stayed. And then another like God shot was that like, I was on um, friends. I was very lonely. I couldn't, I couldn't hold together a relationship mm -hmm. at all. All my relationships were fucked, whether it was with a, a friend or a manager or a boyfriend, forget it. And I was on Friendster and I saw this hot guy and like, I asked him out on a date. What the fuck and is Friendster? I know you're too young. I don't know what that you're is. too young. Friendster is like our version of Tinder in the early 2000s. <laughs> what was it? A website? Yeah. Friendster was kind of like MySpace. Um, but like, I, I guess, yeah, it was like you found friends. Okay. But it wasn't like a dating thing. Not really. I mean, it uh -huh. could be. And I made uh -huh. it that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I met this one guy. His name was Josh. And he was so hot. And we met and he ordered it was at a bar and he ordered a hot chocolate. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I was like, do you you don't drink? And he's like, yeah, you don't you don't drink. I was like, yeah, like 20 days of this crap. I don't know if I'll stick. And um, and uh, he's like, are you in AA? And I was like, well, no, I'm in this thing called NA. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's different. He's like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, hey, check it out. There's this one meeting in New York. It's called Completely Sober. You can talk about drugs and alcohol there. And mm -hmm. also a lot of like cool old club kids go there. You'll like it. And I was like, oh my God. So I went there and then I really found my tribe and I was like, oh, I can stay here. So it was like, God really hooked this whole thing up. It was mm -hmm. really amazing. Is there alcoholism or addiction in your genetics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's an alcoholic. My mom's like an extreme Alanonic, I would say. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and then, yeah, I, and I, I think also my mom's dad is also alcoholic. My my grandpa, who's who's not alive anymore, but, um, but certainly the dysfunction is just right. Yeah. yeah. Mm hmm. So then what was the second shot? So you said you got sober and then your career had a little pickup. Oh yeah. So then I I had done a record um, called My Machine, which is actually one of my my favoriteest records that I've done because it's like a science fiction story. It's almost like I wanted to do like the Who's Tommy or something. Like I wanted to really like make a like a epic story. Um and I got to work with like amazing um, dance producers like um, Armand Van Helden and Todd Terry and Stuart Price and Arthur Baker, like all these legends of, of dance music. And um, so um, on that record, I did a song called Perfect and my record kind of flopped like it didn't 
do well at all. And like I mentioned, like I was sort of like a, a anti-climax after bad babysitter. And um, all of a sudden, uh, somebody remixes the song perfect and it is shooting through the charts. It is crazy. It becomes number three on the UK pop charts, which beats even bad babysitter. Um, wow. And it's a massive, massive. Do they have to, how does that work when somebody like remixes your song? Do they have to get like approval for it? How does that work? Yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. They have to get approval and then you get 50% of the oh, publishing wow. and all that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This song still pays me to this day. And actually, like I just looked it up on Spotify. It's got like 24 million streams. It's kind of wow. insane. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So then let's talk about your, your, your DA bottom or where, how oh. that started to show up. So yeah. So anyways, whack a mole guys. Yeah. It's whack a mole for sure. Um, Basically, like I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars touring around the world. You know, uh, it was an incredible living. What did your you parents know? think about all of it? Oh, they were so proud of me. They were really psyched. They were like, my parents also love fame, you know, <laughs> they like, and, um, and so they were super proud. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. And Princess superstars parents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then, um, yeah, I, didn't save a dime from all that money uh, because I was in this like fantasy that it would always be like that. And even though I was a hard worker, I still was like super lazy around certain things. Like, um, uh, I don't know, like I never wanted to look at contracts or and it, I didn't want to deal with the business stuff because I was like, I'm an artist. I don't need to look at that stuff. Um, anyways, things start getting kind of rocky around like 2011. I was pregnant. My husband just lost his job. And, um, when did you get married? Oh, I, I got married in, well, actually after we had the baby. So like 2013, uh -huh. okay. um, and, uh, and, but we were together for like, you know, a little while, not a big one. <laughs> <laughs> like a couple weeks <laughs> yeah yeah no we were we were together a couple of years I met him in 2009 and then I and then I had the baby in 2011 but um anyways uh he lost his job I was pregnant um it was kind of getting hard to tour like I was kind of nervous I was DJing a lot at that time and DJing is actually excellent money um yeah, and, and no, no paying guitarists. And now, yeah, exactly. And um, I was kind of worried about the bass, like hurting the baby, mm. right? You know what I mean? Because that low frequency and stuff. And like, mm. you know, I played loud, you know, we all did. We all do, you know, as a DJ. So. <laughs> you think that's part of it? <laughs> it's kind of job description. Part of, part of the deal. <laughs> I was like worried about that. But like, also, like I mentioned, I was sort of just in fantasy, like, uh, oh, I don't need to take that gig or I don't know. it's like arrogant, you know, it's just like being arrogant. That's what it is. I really try to focus on humility now. Um, and uh, it was kind of starting to become a bottom. And then I, I started going to DA um, and I went to this meeting in New York called Fear of Success. And I was like, oh all these fucking amateurs. Like I don't have fear of success. Um, uh, you know, I'm a rock star. Don't, you know, and like, <laughs> I obviously don't fear success, you know? 
never really like looking at the underneath because it's like you can, ha- I'm not, yeah. Okay. On the surface, I don't fear success. I'm like bold, brazen. I did all this stuff, but it's like, if you can't hold on to your money and you can't sustain and all that, that's a fear of success. You mm. know, it's unconscious. So I didn't realize that then. And um, then I got a JC Penny commercial. Um, and what was the song? Oh my God. It was a song called the new evolution. And, um, how does that uh, happen? Like to get a commercial, did they reach out to you randomly and they're like, Hey, we want your song or how does that work? So you have like a, 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 what's called a sync agent, synchronization agent. And, um, there's, they're supposed to kind of shop your stuff around to uh, music supervisors. But in this case, the music supervisor was just a fan of mine. I was just lucky, you know, and, um, and that song went into this commercial that aired during the, the Oscars. And so they pay like wow. double, triple. And all of a sudden, like I had like a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Like it's like having a Super Bowl commercial. It absolutely <laughs> is. I, I they they wire transferred me like a hundred and twenty G's right into my account. And I was like, peace out, DA. Fuck all y'all. meanwhile never know never really truly understanding that money is not the solution to what our problem is yeah the the problem or the solution that's right so it's nice and it's awesome and we love money but like that's not that's not what's going to fill the hole or the the poverty consciousness if you hold it you know and i i know that like growing up the way that i did in poverty in the first formative years and then just like the trauma that my mom had from depression era parents and then just like you know my dad's side the jewish side which you know is rife with cliche stinginess and all that <laughs> i don't want to make a cliche but yeah um and uh anyway so um yeah, it was, it was a lot. And um, side note, I used, when I was a kid, so sometimes my mom would call JC pennies, JC pennies. And then sometimes she would call it pennies. And so I thought that there was two different stores. I thought that there was a pennies and a JC pennies. <laughs> I love that. And by the way, when that money hit my account, my, my husband who's Latina was like, Jesus Christ, penny. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's right, honey. Jesus Christ, penny just gave us some money. It's so funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so good. Anyway, yeah, we uh, we blew through that, you know, as sure fast as we could. You know? <laughs> and then I came crawling back in like 2015 or something. Yeah, 2015, I came crawling back and I was ready. And I was not judging anybody at the fear of success meeting. And I was like, what do I need to do? And my PRG people, that's pressure relief group, um, were like, uh, you need to get a job besides music. And I was like, no. I can't do that. Sorry. I've already lived in my vision. I know what it's like. I'm not going to do that. They're like, you need to get another job. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I was crying and sending out emails of like, I didn't even know what I could do, but I was like, I guess I could probably do social media and marketing because I always sort of did that for my own stuff or, you know, I art directed my albums and these kind of things. I had like visions of what brands should look like, you know, or B. And so I was like, I'll just type that out in an email, send it out. And everyone's going to think I'm such a loser failure, you know, and, and I got work right away. And it, and it's, it's kind of been amazing. It hasn't been perfect, but it's like, I earn as a musician, I earn doing the marketing. Um, and I have like this stable, incredible life. I live in Santa Monica. 
11 blocks from the ocean and like it's it's pretty pretty amazing um i actually don't make as much money as i used to make mm -hmm. um but i have this incredibly like abundant life today that's more like i feel very rich so talk about i mean you've been in recovery for a long time and three different programs but what would you say is a limiting belief that you still are struggling with um so one thing I have to work, work on every single day, um, is that it's over for me. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> I have this voice that's like so intense. It's like, you, um, had it all, you fucked it up. Nobody cares anymore. Um, you don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. Like, why don't you have hundreds of that? You should, you had two pop hits, you know? And like, uh, so this idea that I'm a loser. You know, and it's just like that's been very healing with ACA work. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that's the critical parent, you know, because what brings me joy more than anything is like uh, working on my music and uh, being a mom, of course, too. Like that's been unbelievable. But like the the voice specifically, like I've been really working on that, like saying affirmations. And then also I just wrote a song about it. I was like, oh, I, I wrote a song about feeling washed up you know, and it's really funny. And I think that it really um, probably speaks to a lot of people who, who just are like, Oh, what do I do now? Or like, am I worthy anymore? Or, or this kind of thing. And, and to look back on my body of work, and what I've done is like pretty amazing and extraordinary what I was able to do and live through, like, and just be grateful and not like equate it to that. I'm a loser now because I don't have it anymore. You know? Mm hmm. So what about your talk about your experience as a mom? Wow, and it's just it's like otherworldly being a mom. Like it's just so incredible. I'll tell you, like, so she's 11, and I really try to raise her with like as much consciousness as I can and respect and just like really like different than how I was raised, you know, and really kind of like respect her as a person. And um, I have like I have meant like a mentor a parenting mentor that's just amazing and like kind of like putting the child's needs first and and i think that like if we did this as collectively as a society like maybe we would have like world peace like honestly like if all if all children sort of got met with the love and respect that they actually need to thrive like what would the world be like well i mean then there wouldn't be a need for this podcast so i mean <laughs> Well, that would suck for your bottom yeah. line. <laughs> How have you talked to her about recovery and alcoholism and like, what is her understanding of all of these programs and how have you guys talked with her about, you know, both of you guys obviously have alcoholism in your genetics and how have you broached that with her? Yeah, she's been coming to meetings actually since she's like a baby. So she, you know, and she's like the, the, the baby that was like crawling around on the floor in the meetings. And then like, I would take her out if she like started crying or something. Um, so she's been, she's, you know, and then as she got older and understood things, I actually put on earphones. Cause like, I didn't think she should listen to like all the stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and actually I'm quite careful around ACA particularly. Cause I think that's pretty intense, um, with her, but, um, she understands that like, we're, we're, uh, sober. And that we 
prize that very highly. And like we work on ourselves and we model that for her. And we talk about addiction in our family because like uh, an iPad is super addictive, right? And it's like, she has a bad transition off the iPad. I'm like, Ooh, were you feeling some addiction there? She's like, totally. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so like, let's, you know, and not to like shame her about it, but it's just like, um, you know, like pointing it out in everyday life. I think is really valuable. So she's growing up with an understanding and an awareness about it. And then if we do fight in front of her, which I really try hard not to, um, I always model that we make up and I tell her that like, Hey, we were just in a little bit of our addiction and our crazy, which is like from our own crappy childhood. (laughs) And like, I put it in like very simple terms like that. Like, does she ask um, questions? Um, yeah, sometimes she does, but sometimes she's just like, she really gets it. There's something interesting about her and some of like her friends and stuff. They're, they're kind of like old souls. I can't, you know, some people call them star children, but these children are so like, like wise and intuitive and like, you know, and like, she'll even like, sometimes, you know, I'll say shut, I'm trying not to say shut up and I'll say it to my husband and she'll be like, mom, I'm like, you're right. You're right. And like, I really let her like say, and I'm, I say, thank you. And I say, but I also say, that's not your job just so you know. Cause like, I also know like that all of us who have been like with sh- like crappy roles, trying to take care of our parents. I'm like, you know, that's not your job, but I do appreciate that from time to time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's better than being like, shut the fuck up. And then she's like, mom. And you're like, oh, sorry. Just shut up. Just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um what's the name of the you were telling me about the thing that you and your husband do that's like the program for couples in recovery what was that called it's called chapter nine couples in recovery that's an amazing program yeah that that teaches you how to talk to each other how to like not take each other uh take each other's inventory how to affirm your partner how to like and and different tools like it's incredible and you turn your life and your relationship over to the care of a higher power i mean mm-hmm. how amazing is that it's like bringing god into your relationship, relationship. Yeah. yeah how what does he think about all this aca stuff oh he loves it um he um he's just like he sees a difference already in the way that I'm communicating where I'm just like really trying to be vulnerable and like, Hey, that hurts my feelings instead of fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, this has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been amazing. Can- I mean, this is such a fun interview. I have to say like, you know, it's like, I don't know, like it's really fun talking about like my personal history mixed with my um, career. Career. Yeah. I don't think I've never done an interview like that. So it's just so great. And I love your podcast and I, and I think you're amazing. And yeah. Um, do you want to be found? Sure. You can, uh, find me at princess superstar on, on, uh, Instagram. Instagram. And then what you have your, what you have your radio show. I have a radio show on dash radio, which is, um, an LA based thing, but it's internet radio, uh, every Thursday night at 7 PM Pacific. And also I have a Patreon, but I don't remember what the URL is. So just Patreon (laughs) princess superstar. (laughs) I'm not really good at at selling. There you go. Well, that wraps up today's episode. 
As always, you are so very welcome. Thanks again to Conchetta. What a cool life. What a cool story. What a cool life. Go check out her music. It's quite versatile. I actually found on SoundCloud, she has that track, the 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 Mitch Mitch better get my bunny. Uh, I fa- she has the full thing up there. It's like twenty two minutes long, so I guess it's all four of the tracks. It's um, I sent her a text. I said it kind of has like a, a velvet undergroundy type vibe. I re- vibe vibe. I just made up a word vibe vibe vibe. I was into it. Go check it out. It was good. I'll put it, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, yeah, and then she also did a song with Moby. Um, cool life, lady. Cool life. Who knew? No idea. <laughs> I was asking. I was asking Princess Superstar to be my sponsor. Um, yeah, that was great. What an inspiration. Um, and if she can go to a damn meeting every day, then we can all go to a damn meeting every day because she's busy. She's busy AF. Um, so thanks again, Conchetta. Feel really grateful that our paths have crossed. And as I, I told her guys, I said, you're going to be Mitch from now on. I'm calling you Mitch. I should probably just change her name in my phone now to Mitch. <laughs> um, what else? So yeah, we're going to do the, the um, episode next week on work stuff, unhealed trauma in the workplace. Um, so please, again, let me know if you have any questions regarding that. What else? Damn the Join Patreon. We've had a lot of new folks joining. These groups are so special. I feel so, so honored and grateful for all of y'all. It's so cool. It's so cool. I never saw this coming. Um, I'm just trying to reflect on that and be grateful for what I've created I feel like I don't stop and give myself the recognition and, you know, tell myself that I'm proud of myself enough and I am proud of myself. So I need to remind myself that, you know, it's always, always looking for the next thing or it's never good enough or it's not big enough or I'm not, you know, making enough money, all that stuff. And, uh, sometimes I just have to stop and talk to myself in the third person and say, <laughs> Andrea, you're doing, you're doing a good job, girly. Um, okay, you shit shows. Well, I will see you next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super awesome, super bonal, super excited. Be out of here. It's going to be a great, I promise. Bye.